Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is that day of the week that I always look forward to because I get to hang out with my pals, and uh, we call it Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and they do an awesome job. So let me know what questions you might have for my power panel, which is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here, Bill. Yeah, well, uh, so glad to be with you. I love the fellowship and the joy and I hope everyone who listens learns something today about their Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, I am glad that you're here because um, I want you to come to know Jesus as your Savior. And I hope that you um, get some of your questions answered because it's important to ask good questions. Fair? Yep. Well, Fair. Yes. I, Jeff, you agree? Indeed. Yeah. I do. All right. Here's a couple of questions just to get things started. Um how did anyone in the Old Testament become Gentile? Wouldn't all the descendants be Jewish? Well, technically, Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was from Ur, and we don't have that. It was the line that the Lord brought out of that, and eventually through Joseph and through his brothers, and that you have Israel. That was formed, the Haberu, which was formed then in uh Exodus, when we read about it there. So basically what you have is you have, yes, a DNA line. We can trace that, and the Bible does. But you also have basically the Lord forming a new people, literally out of nothing, uh, there to become his people. And that's where, as we understand Judaism, it originated. Now, it did come from Abraham, came down, but Abraham would have never saw himself as a Habiru or an Israelite. He would have simply seen himself as a servant of the Lord. Yeah, so, you know, we all trace our ancestry back to Noah, but uh, just as Tom said, Abraham, or Abram, was the one who was called. He then had a son, Isaac, and the promise and the blessing that was given to God to Abraham was passed to Isaac, and then that was passed to Jacob, and Jacob then became Israel. Yes. So the Jewish people are the descendants of Jacob, or Israel, and his 12 sons. So that's where we get the nation of Israel. Nice. All right, gentlemen, is it biblical for a woman to change her last name when she gets married? I did not, but now regret it. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask Rosie. Rosie, what do you think? We'll put Rosie on a guy talk. Please. I'm Larry. Oh, yeah, Larry. So, Larry, what do you think? Is it biblical for a woman to change her last name when she gets married? Hmm. I don't know that that's in the Bible necessarily. I can't think of a passage, but I will tell you that having the same last name as my husband, because I did change my name, made me make us a new family. Okay. So I enjoyed changing my name, but I don't know in the Bible where it would be. Well, the closest we can come is that when a man and a woman get married, the Lord says they become one flesh. Well, how is that one flesh then identified? Mm -hmm. And usually I think that's where Christianity especially came out of that, and the women started taking on the name of their married husband, not only for legal purposes, but it was an identification. You know, I am Susan of the, you know, the parish or whatever that may be, and it simply became Susan Parish as a last name. 
That's my last name, by the way. So I think it is something along that line. But I think it goes back to literally they become one flesh and people are trying to find better ways to do that. But does it biblically have to be done? Well, it's confusing if you don't do it because it's confusing for a lot of people uh, when you're out in public and when you sign documents and you do things because suddenly you got two different names on it. Yeah, I can think of no biblical exhortation on names uh, at all, on last names. In fact, I can't even think of any last names in all of Scripture, to be honest. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Christ is not his last name, as maybe some think. It's a, a title. It means the anointed one. So I can't even think of last names. Um, I think it's more of a tradition or custom uh, in the in the society in which you live. It's traditional that women have uh, gotten the last names. And, you know, I know some friends that have hyphenated their names. And if you have a Smith Marriott Jones, and so her name's become Smith Jones, and their children are Smith Jones, and then they meet a uh, Anderson, uh, <laughs> you know, Marsh, and their mm-hmm. last name is Anderson Marsh, and the woman decides to keep her name, suddenly it's going to be Smith Joan Anderson Marsh, and it starts getting un- unwieldy very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But uh, no, I, I don't think there's anything biblical to either keep or to not to keep mm-hmm. uh, your last name as a female when you get married. But as Tom said, you do become one flesh, and that is the tradition that we have. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You are listening to The Guide Talk, Tom Parrish, Jeff Verdorn, my power panel. Send your questions over. The text line is open just for you, 877-933-2484. So I mentioned to a friend that no one goes to heaven by just being good, and he replied, well... That's what the religions of the world would have you believe. What should my response have been? It's real simple. No, the religions of the world don't teach that. Most of the religions don't know anything about heaven. They don't know anything about what comes afterward. And it's not the Christian religion that voiced that. It is the leader of the Christian religion, Jesus himself, who said that. So the gentleman's argument is with Jesus. It's not with religion. And... uh, it would be good to go back to Scripture with that gentleman and look at the verses where Jesus talks about those very things. You know, I, I often teach on what the concept of religion, and I describe it as a man-made construct in order to, that outlines what man has to do in order to become acceptable to the deity, to make it to heaven, to make it to the next level, to paradise, nirvana, whatever. But one of the things that the world religions do have in common is it's everything is about what we need to do. Biblical Christianity is about what God has already done. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So it's about a personal relationship with the risen Jesus Christ, not a religion. You know, this is not to put down any religion, and I'm not going there, but it's kind of like going out for a steak dinner. And you've got the most beautiful steak and lobster you've ever seen in your life. And next to it, you have a little hamburger with no ketchup and nothing on it. And your choice is, which one do you want? Well, most people are going to take the steak and whatever. That is Christianity and Jesus' claim compared to the other religious claims that are out there. Because I just just looked it up because I'm preaching on this Sunday. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Muhammad thought he knew the way. Buddha hoped there was a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Huge difference. Yeah, and you know, I've I've looked at the resumes of the religious leaders of the world, and none of them have risen from the grave on their resume except for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. All right, another name questions has popped up on the text line. Uh, why are people changing their name in the Bible so much, and why are there so many Marys? 
Uh, I can count five Marys in the in the New Testament. Okay. I don't know how many there were in the Old, but uh, it's just a common name back then. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was that. What about changing their names? You mean where Jesus changed from yeah. Cephas are, are to calling him Peter? A new identity? I think it's a uh, new identity, new purpose, new direction. Um, but beyond that, I'm not sure. Jeff, do you know? have any depth there in understanding of yeah, the language? In, when, when Abram became Abraham, I've heard some Jewish scholars talk about how he is now with God and that the extension of Abraham is, is actually God's name attached to Abraham. Mm-hmm. It's Abram in some way. Same with Sarai, Sarah. Uh, but I think in the New Testament, uh, it is. It, I think it does have to do with this new identity. And remember, we also are going to get new names in heaven. We get a heavenly name, and actually Jesus has a new name that is described and talked about in the book of Revelation as well. So names are really a big deal to God, mm-hmm. and um, um, I, I know and, – and by the way, I, probably the one of the most important descriptions – of all is that God says he writes his name on us. Remember that as believers, we are God's possessions. And what do we do with things that we possess? We write our names on them, right? Well, God says he's written his name on us. And I think that's probably one of the most important names that we have inscribed on us that we can have. Well, even Mm -hmm. the scriptures are very adamant and says, look, your bodies do not belong to yourself. Right. They belong to the Lord. He is the owner. He is the creator. And that's why we need to look really hard at our culture and, and people within the culture about all this stuff that's going on where people are getting changed, transformed, and everything else. How did the Lord create you and why? And is he the owner or are we the owner? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, gentlemen. Says, scripture, really quick, Scripture yep. says you've been bought at a price, Paul says in Corinthians. Yep. And that price, Peter says, was the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Are there uh, descriptions of Jesus' physical attributes in the Bible or how did all the similar depictions in artwork happen? Uh, no, there's really no description in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It, it says he was nobody, you know, spectacular. Yeah. I mean, the scriptures use that language, but there's no real Nothing description. Nothing about his, his appearance that would have attracted you to him, right? Nothing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, Correct. It, Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, in, sorry. In fact, Isaiah 53 says that uh, he, he grew up like a tender plant and that there was nothing about him, no beauty that we should desire him. So Scripture actually paints this picture of the coming Messiah where he is going to be very average looking. He's not going to be attractive physically, no beauty that would attract people to him. So people were attracted to Jesus only because of his message, not because of what he looks like. And so most of the times we see Christ depicted in art, he's a very handsome, uh, you know, flowing hair man. And we got to remember that Jesus was a first century Jewish man, mm-hmm. and probably an average looking first century Jewish man. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is where if you don't understand history, then you get into all this thing that we're trying to make Jesus look like a particular race of people or we've dominated with that thought. The Europeans were the first ones to really do art in the way that we see in the, the Michelangelo's and the frescoes, things like that. Now, there'd always been art. You go to Egypt, you go to Iraq, there's always been art around. But the portraits of people really came out of Europe and the European artists didn't travel to the Middle East in most cases. They didn't look on people that were from the region of Jesus. They simply painted him as they would see a human being, and they enhanced it any way they wanted. And that's how we wound up with centuries of the pictures of Jesus looking the way he does. Mm. All right, here's one more question before we go to break. Um, at Bible study, what of the moms said, her child came home 
from kindergarten and reported, one of the kids in class said they love Satan. <laughs> My question is, where are people finding, what, what are people finding to love about Satan? Isn't that crazy that at that age, probably six, something yeah. is being said or heard and a kid is saying that? Well, you look at what Disney has done and they're in a lot of trouble right now for their cartoons. Uh, how they're changing the perception of things. Uh, a lot of the stuff in, in kids' games and medias highlight the dark, mm-hmm. the, the spiritual realm. And Satan, I think, can become an attractive figure as an action figure to an awful lot of kids. I don't think a six-year-old has any real concept of what they're saying or what they're asking. Yeah, good point. But they need to be exposed to it in the proper way and why mm-hmm. Jesus is much better to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this caricature of Satan, you know, the red and the horns and the tail and the whole bit. But you got to remember, this is a real being, and he is roaming the earth looking to steal and to kill and destroy. And there are many people in this world who worship Satan. Yeah. Satanism is real. Witchcraft is real. Real. There are people who call on his name, just as we as Christians call on the name of God. And and in in a lot of ways, it's becoming more blatant in our culture. We just saw the Grammys. I don't know. I didn't see it live, but I heard about it. Sam Smith did a satanic uh, performance at the Grammys for our, all of our nation to see, wow. and it's just openly uh, shown now today. And, I saw uh, so, it on the news. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, we'll take a short break and be back. Lots more Guy Talk. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. Look forward to getting them. Again, 877-933-2484. Oh, life can be filled with distractions. I saw a survey that said the average person will look at their phone 320 times a day. This Lent, let's take a moment to step away from all the distractions and let's read the Bible together. You can start this wonderful program called Reading the Bible Together with Us, and you can learn how to better connect with God through His Word and through studying ancient disciplines practiced by Jesus himself. You can sign up for this free study now at myfaithradio.com. Let's spend this season of Lent focusing on our Savior, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and what fuels our minds and our hearts to be more devoted followers of Jesus. Again, sign up for the free study now at myfaithradio.com. I hope you are having a good day, and I hope um, you are enjoying Guy Talk. That is the program we're enjoying this hour with uh, my power panel of Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. The format is you ask the questions, we do our very best to answer them. Uh, So earlier on in the program, gentlemen, we talked about uh, changing your name when you get married. And uh, a listener said, when I got married 40 years ago, I didn't change my name because it felt like it would make me disappear as an individual few years later, I felt a desire to identify as a team with my husband, so I went through the legal process of changing my name. Wow. There you go. Good for you. Yeah. Good, good All right. story. Yep. Um, 
In Genesis 19, verses 5 to 8, Lot offers his daughters to the angry mob rather than give up the strangers he's housing to the mob. How could a father do this? Well, it probably wasn't the best decision in the world. And um, oftentimes in those situations, we don't get a second chance to redeem that. But I don't know how much pressure was on him when he was recognizing what was going on, when he recognized these were the angels who came and he was trying to stand in the way from the crowd from them. But I don't think he thought any less of his daughters. I think it was just a bad choice on his part, and I wouldn't recommend that. But ultimately, we see what the angels did. They got Lot and his family out of the city, and the city would not repent, and so fire and brimstone came down on it. Yeah, this is, you know, the, a tough story. The sacrifice of, of uh, Abraham and Isaac is another very interesting story and can be very tough. You know, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, and it's like, how can you do these to children? The, the only thing I've got is that children in the ancient world were much different, viewed much differently than they are today. Uh, I think today we we treasure our children uh, in a way that uh, this seems unimaginable to us. Um, you got to remember in some of these cultures, a child actually uh, isn't really a legal child of the parents until they're officially adopted by the parents at some point in time later in their life, and then they become heirs. Uh, to their uh, father's estate. Uh, before that, uh, you could potentially even sell off your children. Um, so I, I think what's going on here is an ancient cultural kind of view uh, that that we just don't have of our children today. We're not, not even close. Well, and the story later on doesn't get any better. No, after, it doesn't. Uh, after Lot's wife is turned to a pillar of salt and then the two daughters decide, hey, we got to keep the family genes going. Um, it, it All around, it is not a good picture. And I, I think it shows that Lot and his family, living where they were under those circumstances, were themselves in such need of redemption because they were pretty close to being lost as well. And the Lord, by mercy, brought them out. Remember, the whole idea that we have of human rights is really something that's only come along in the last several hundred years. Um, yeah. There wasn't a concept of, oh, my rights and a right as a child and, and women's rights and men's rights and these kinds of rights. There there was just survival. And uh, so that's why we see, by the way, uh, a type of slavery. It's really indentured servitude. And this indentured servitude throughout scriptures, both old and even continuing to the new, was basically people that say, I'll work for you and be your indentured servant, your bond servant, and you will feed me and provide for me and protect me. And so it was, it was a necessity of survival because it was tough to survive in the ancient world. So you you said, I will be your indentured servant if I can be part of your your clan. And uh, so the whole idea of human rights that we have today, it would be a foreign concept back then. Good point. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, jump to Matthew chapter 22, verses 43 and 44. So Matthew 22, 43 to 44. And... The question is, can you explain this, specifically verse 44? Yeah, so this is David calling him Lord. And so the, the question is basically, well, who is the Christ? So the right before that is, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said, well, then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, 
calls him Lord, for he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at the right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Uh, we have a messianic picture here that basically says, how can David call him Lord if he's going to come the Messiah is going to be coming from the line of David. And this can only be explained by the fact that the, the Messiah, Christ, pre-existed his incarnation. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is declaring that he was pre-existent before he actually was born. Now, to us, we understand that God, that Christ is God and therefore eternal, uh, but to the Jew, this would have been a foreign concept. He was born of a woman. He was a person. How can someone be before Abraham? And uh, so that was kind of the puzzle that Jesus was, was speaking about. In many ways, Jesus was turning their theology of that day upside down because suddenly, you know, they had their own concepts of who David was, whose son he was, and all that was important from that and where the Messiah would come from. And all of a sudden you got Jesus saying, hey, why did David even say this? Why did he, you know, how is it that David in the spirit called him Lord? And they knew what that meant. They did not like it. Now, I think the common people probably struggled with it. The Pharisees and Sadducees who really read, you know, the, the scriptures knew what Jesus was saying, and they didn't like it. And so many times after these occurrences in the Bible, what does it say? They went out to see how they could kill him or get rid of him. Yeah, we were just, uh, if, I don't know if, uh, the, I just watched uh, an episode uh, of The Chosen, and the, the episode that I watched was uh, Jesus speaking in the temple, where he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read, and basically says, in my reading, this passage is fulfilled. Now, he's in his hometown of Capernaum, in the synagogue, and nobody in his hometown took that very well. Hmm. In fact, they grab him, they take him to the, the cliff, and they were going to throw him off. And then the verse in, I think it's Luke 4, it says that, and then he just walked through the crowd and left. And it's like, okay, not your time yet. This wasn't your time. But obviously, he was declaring that this prophecy was about him. And the people that knew him best didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. So if I went to someone who you were really close to, and I said, is Tom agreeable or disagreeable? What do you think that person would say? Well, am I supposed to respond yes, to myself? Yes, you are supposed to. I'm oh. looking your direction, Tom. Oh, well, it's called live radio. I would think <laughs> agreeable or disagreeable. I think it would depend upon how people really perceived what I try to do and what I proclaim. Okay. I proclaim Jesus as the only way to heaven the one and only Lord and Savior. I had a funeral two weeks ago, and two people walked out in the middle of the funeral because they said Jesus was the only way of salvation. And they gave me a dirty look. They got up and they walked out. I wish they'd call me. I'd like yeah. to talk to them. Yeah. The point is, most people don't really know me in the truest sense, and that's not the important thing. Hopefully what they do know is who I stand for. Mm -hmm. And then in that decision, they're either going to like me or not like me. And I find, Bill, there's no in-between. Okay. There's no gray. Yeah. Jeff, what would you— Yeah, the you... people that agree with me find me very agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and those that don't, no. So he's right. You know, there's two common reactions to Jesus. Uh, you see this in the book of John. You know, some really liked what he said and wanted to hear more and followed him and believed in him. And others 
wanted to kill him, right? Mm -hmm. So you see the same reaction. When you preach Jesus, you're going to get some that may be interested and want to hear more and others who are going to scurry. When you flip on the lights in a room, some bugs scurry away. Some are attracted to the light. And I think the world is the same way with the message of Jesus. Good point. All right, we'll take a break. Lots more God Talk when we come back. Let me know what questions you have, Bless God to be sitting in this chair. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and thank you for listening to Faith Radio and just being wonderful and amazing. And I love the questions that come in. And I think right before the break, I asked a question. Maybe I didn't think it through very well. I think where I was going was, do you have a tendency to bring negative emotion as a default or positive emotion as a default? Like, for example, if I said, oh, boy, the Minnesota Vikings sure had a great season, 13-3, and three, uh, an agreeable person might say, yeah, what a remarkable season they had. A lot of fun victories. And a person with more negative emotion might say, oh, come on. Their defense was horrible. Yeah. Amazed they won that many games. I think Their he- line wasn't all that good either. So it's what you know, <laughs> that would be negative, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think if you're honest, if we really want to get down to honesty, before I really knew Jesus, I could find fault with everything. Right. You know, and I could put people in their place because I'm very outspoken. Once I came to know Jesus and decided I wanted to not only know him, but be like him, it has been a battle to learn how to be polite, mm-hmm. how to talk to people, even people I disagree with, even people I don't really want to be with, but still respect them and love them and reach out to them. And that's a process. Yeah, I think, you know, it kind of depends on what the topic is or what the situation is. I, I want to be a bearer of truth, of righteousness, of 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 justice. I want to speak biblical truth always. If, if there's someone who is advancing like a false teaching or something, I am going to probably confront that and confront it directly. But remember, Paul says, always let your conversation be seasoned with grace, as it were, right? To yep. speak the truth in love. And so I think we can be, we can disagree Disagreement is not unbiblical, uh, but I but we can be disagreeable in how we do it, right? Or you can be uh, a grace filled in how you do it, and I and I, we should always try to be grace filled in how we disagree, especially about biblical things. Agreed. Mm-hmm. All right. Good word. All right. Here's a way to equip a believer. The question is: I've been told, and I love the way that question starts out because this person has heard something, right? Mm-hmm. I've been told in original biblical language. There is no word for homosexual, rather a translation for pedophile. Therefore, technically, we should not stand in the way of homosexuality. This is absurd to me, but I would appreciate your response to this argument. I love your Thursday panel days. Thank you for helping us stay in the fight, sometimes even against other believers. The the actual word homosexual... I can see where they're saying that, or that word doesn't appear, but it it does talk about one men, men lusting after each other 
or whatever. So it, it gives the description, but it doesn't always give the specific word as we understand it. And it goes against the New Testament where Jesus says, you know, a husband and wife become one flesh. The, the husband will leave his family and, with his wife and they become one flesh. So Jesus' attitude was that marriage between a man and a woman is the proper place of God's design. People deviate from that. And if they want to deviate in America, they have the right to do that. But that doesn't make them right with the Lord, nor does the Lord condone that. And in my experience working with people in these lifestyles, uh, it's not always very healthy. There's a lot of destruction that goes on long term because it's frustrating. It isn't what the Lord originally intended. I remember when the marriage, uh, defense of marriage amendment was being proposed in the state of Minnesota. There was a number of groups that were arguing from a quote-unquote Christian perspective that that homosexuality was okay just as long as there was love involved. And um, so they they used some of these techniques, including the what the listener asked about it in this words. Uh, Tom actually quoted part from Romans. I think it's pretty clear in Romans. It says, for example, in the same way men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another, men committed shameful acts or sexual immorality with other men. Um, I have looked at some of the Greek words for this. One of the Greek words actually does mean one who lies with a male as with a female, sodomite or homosexuality. Uh, so the, I think it's it's from a, a kind of a liberal perspective trying to biblically justify a, a sexual immorality. And, and don't forget, God sees all sexual relationships outside of a marriage between a man and woman as sexual immorality. It's not just exclusively homosexuality. Well, here's where the church is broken down. We were, our goal is to put Jesus on the throne and display him for everybody to see as the one and only savior. Too many churches have taken Jesus off the throne and put love on the throne. If we just love one another, it's really all that matters. If we have love, 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 that's what it's all about. And the problem with that is, then you can start justifying what the Bible would call sinful and destructive behavior by saying, but they really love one another. And I'm not buying that. Uh, Love is defined by Jesus. It is not defined by the culture. Hmm. Yeah, there was a group that actually had another, a lot of banners that were up at that time when this amendment was being debated in Minnesota and said, another Christian for marriage equality. And when you clicked on the link and you went to the group, it was all, Tom, exactly what you were just saying. God is love, and as long as you love everybody, then it's acceptable to God. That's exactly the argument they, that they used. I was there for the marriage amendment. I was one of the speakers. And I'm standing in the hallway because we were in a, like a rotunda, and there was a middle section. And I was in the outside, and there were a lot of people out there, you know, chanting, you know, let us love one another. Love is all that matters, and all this and that. Another pastor saw me across the room, very liberal, and he walked up with some of the crowd and said, well, Tom, why are you here? Well, I'm here to speak for the marriage amendment. Oh. And then he went on and tried to trap me in a couple of questions. And finally, he said Hmm. to me, well, you know what your problem is? You are just homophobic. And the crowd loved it. And after he said that, I cannot tell you how I did this. It was only the Holy Spirit. I looked at him and I said, your problem is you're Jesus phobic. And everybody got quiet and they literally backed up. And then I went in and was able to speak. But it was I felt the Holy Spirit was moving there because the issue was not homosexuality. The issue is not marriage. The issue is Jesus and what he's designed us for. Amen. And we should never be uh, just one addition. You know, there's a lot of churches that fly certain flags and say we're accepting all and so on. God will accept 
anyone. Yeah. We should not give up this mantle of, you know, only certain churches that have certain ideologies are, are accepting. God offers salvation to whosoever, no matter where you are at, no matter your sexual preferences, no matter your sin, God Christ died for that sin. And so when somebody has a sign up that says we accept all, the true church of Jesus Christ is accepting and he offers salvation to everybody. Now we should always stand up for God's ways, always. And that's what Tom was doing that day. Uh, but we should be absolutely loving and accepting to everyone who needs Christ as their savior. Thank you for that. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who supports Faith Radio because we get to have these conversations because we're listener supported. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference. And, you know, I've told you, Bill, what we get to do here is so unusual that I am, I'm thrilled to be here and I know what a difference it's making in people's lives. Yeah. And it's um, certainly a emotional topic. Um, a, a listener just said, if homosexual marriages should not be, and they should repent, dissolve the relationship, what should remarried, divorced, heterosexual couples do? They need to go back and they need to look at how they got where they are, what sins they committed. And the one thing they need to do is find a way to sit down in front of one another and repent and repent before the Lord and find ways to reconcile. Now, if you're married to someone who's a narcissist or beats you or whatever else, I've gotten women, especially women out of those situations. I've hidden them for a period of time. I've gotten them help. Um, but I think the problem is we're too quick to always, when we don't like something, and it, it, and the abuse is one thing, but in most marriages, it's just I don't like this person anymore or there's somebody else at work that's more attractive. It's easier to just step out and do that rather than say, I'm wrong to even think that way. I've got to change my thinking. Yeah, you know, I, I think the simple concept is we should we should love the sinner but hate the sin. And I, I know that's kind of contrite or simple or something, but I think that's what exactly what it boils down to. We should never be afraid to stand up for God's ways, ever. Sin is sin, period. But at the same time, and, and God, by the way, calls sexual immorality sexual immorality. And so whether that's heterosexual sexual immorality or homosexual sexual immorality, it, it doesn't really matter. God has designed uh, sexual activity for a marriage between one man and one woman. And that that is the clear picture of Scripture. And I think we should never be ashamed as Christians to stand up for that. Uh, but at the same time, we need to love the world even in their sin and offer them. And we're ministers of reconciliation, right? That's what, yep. that's what God has called us with, to be ministers of reconciliation, to tell them that their sin can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. So, Well, here's the problem. The world can be brutal on Christians that hold to a Jesus or a biblical point of view. They can call us names. They can call us all kinds of things. And most Christians believe in grace, so they try to be gracious, and they don't know how to respond. What I've learned over the years is that, yep, I've had people call me all kinds of names, give me dirty looks, say all kinds of things, and I basically said to them, you know, I'm just a man. You know, you can be mad at me, but I think your real argument is with Jesus, and you need to go consult him in the Word of God and mm-hmm. just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. All right. Can you please talk about how people have demons, even Christians? How can you tell if you or a person has a demon? Is it possible to get rid of it through prayer, or do you have to have other Christians cast them out? Tom Parrish, I'm looking your direction. I'm going to start with you. I've dealt with this a fair amount in the last 25 years. Well, I went to you first. 
Thank you. Um, what it comes down to is this. Every Christian is an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a minister of reconciliation. Every Christian has the authority and the power to cast out demons. Most Christians have never been taught. They have no idea how to do it. And quite honestly, they go kind of crazy when somebody's voices change or the face kind of changes in front of them. Here's the bottom line. I One of the things I do when I have people come in and they tell me they're hearing voices or whatever else, I want to hear a little bit about their background, hear about what they've gotten into. Many of them have gotten into tarot cards. Many of them have gotten into other things. And then I will simply say to them, you know, you come to a pastor, so let's begin by affirming together that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. Will you say that aloud with me? And for those that it is more of a emotional problem, they can say it. For those that have demons, believe me, I have seen people's faces change right in front of me and, and curse at me and start calling me names. And then at that point, it's no longer a conversation. It's the power of the name of Jesus and his shed blood that you confront the demon with and go from there. But it's a mixture. And uh, I always ask people, too, what medications are they on? Mm-hmm. What doctor are they sure. seeing? Because uh, they try to get a good understanding. Tom, do you believe that I, – I believe, and I, I can't remember if this has come up before, that a someone who is sealed with the Holy Spirit, filled, made alive with Christ, and is born again cannot be possessed by a demon? Is that is that yeah, your understanding? I don't, I don't see possession there as the issue. I see oppression because Sometimes, even as followers of Jesus, we can get stupid. And we get stupid in the sense that we get involved in things we shouldn't have gotten involved with in the first place. Whether it is crystals, tarot cards, palm reading, uh, you know, uh, too many young Christian guys have told me they met a new girlfriend who was into this stuff and they gave into it because they liked her, except that it wound up being a mess for them. No, I don't think you can be possessed. But I think the oppression is that it comes from the outside and it keeps pushing you in one direction. And the Christian himself then is not under the power of the demon, but you simply have to confront the demon and say, enough, in the name of Jesus, somebody has shed blood. I will not listen to you and I will not go that direction. And some people have to do it over and over for a while. I I do. I agree with that. I don't think a, a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ can be indwelt by any kind of demon. But you're right. Our battle, Paul actually says this, right? Our battle is a spiritual it battle. Is. It's against rulers and authorities, uh, against powers of the dark world and the heavenly realms, or whatever the verse says in, in Ephesians chapter 6. And that's what he says. Therefore, stand firm then with this armor of God uh, that uh, God has equipped you with. And uh, and part of that, by the way, is the word of God and a biblical understanding of God's word and stand firm in. I find it interesting that biblically, we only have about five, six instances in which we see demonic activity. It's real. We know it's there, but God doesn't actually give us a ton of information about it. And and I've always kind of taken the attitude, I'm going to trust in God, and I'm he's the commander of all of the armies of heaven and the hosts of heaven, and I'm going to let him worry about the details. I was talking with a, a exorcist, a Christian exorcist, and comes out of a little different tradition of mine. And I said, so how do you do this? And he said, well, you know, you got you to sit with them. You got to ask what the, the demon's name is. You got to do all this and that. I said, well, how you been doing with that? He said, well, I'm about 50% successful. I said, well, I've been doing this for the last 25 years. And the only thing I do is use the name of Jesus and his shed blood. And quite honestly, I've never had a problem. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. There is power in the name of Jesus and his shed blood that we don't utilize very often. Most Christians don't know how to use his name properly in his shed blood, and yet the demons know exactly what's going on when you do that, and they want nothing to do with Jesus. Greater is he who is in you 
than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen to that. We'll take a break and be back with more guide talk. Let me know whatever you have as a question to ask the panel, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. All right, all right. Welcome back to Guy Talk, Guys Who Talk. Tom Parrish, Jeff Verdorn, great questions coming in. Thank you so much for uh, sending over questions. That was really nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, this last question, Tom Parrish, you answered about um, things that come from the dark world. Another mm-hmm. comment com- came in. A friend of mine gave me some lead crystal stars to hang in my window so that when the sun goes through them, they will form rainbows on my walls. Is this some kind of crystals you are talking about being potentially demonic? Well, it depends on the one thing I want to know about your friend. If I could talk with your friend, is uh, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your your life. Now, there are some people that just like rocks and crystals. I know crystals themselves are not an issue. Yeah, but what it is an issue is then when those crystals are then used in a demonic way or cursed, or prayed over in a way that brings curses on people that utilize them. Most Christians, most people don't think about that. It's a very innocent act. Uh, I would just simply want to find more about the person who gave them the crystals. Yeah, now, if I they mean, were, the, came as, as a, as a, from a demonic source, I'd say get rid of them. Sorry, Jeff. No, absolutely. I was going to say it, it does depend on how you use it. If you just like crystals and you're into rocks and, and some people are in geology, that's no big deal. But crystals have specific meaning and kind of in the occult world. And Thank it's you. it's uh, for protection against evil spirits in some way or for healing or things like that. Th- this is why God specifically, when he set his people, Israel, apart from the rest of the pagan world, one of the things he said is don't mess with this occult stuff. Yeah. We, Christians should have no business dealing with the things that the world does when they are trying to use occult practices for spiritual things like crystals, like Ouija boards, like fortune telling uh, and, you know, seances and, and all the rest of it. God specifically told his people, stay away from that. That that is a door to a spirit realm that that I don't want you to open. When and you, I actually yeah. think he doesn't want you to open it because it's real. These these are real things. And so he says, "Here, fix your eyes on me. Here's an Trust example. In me, you're in the backyard and you're digging and you dig up a beautiful crystal. All right, it hasn't been cursed, it hasn't been used by the occult. It's just a beautiful crystal in the ground, made by God. And you say, boy, I'd sure like to display that in my window. What do I do?" Well, I'm telling you, display it in your window and put a little plaque underneath it and it says Jesus is the light of the world. Because the object itself has no power except the power that the demonic puts on it or these cults. And when you take it from them, that power is transferred. But in terms of the actual crystal, uh, no, I I don't have a big issue with that at all. I don't see a problem there. And I love Genesis 9.16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. 
So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth, the rainbow. Oh, that's why the rainbow flag is in front of all those churches. (laughs) Well, you can see it is an attempt to take away this wonderful symbol, redefine it, and make something else out of it. And there are too many church leaders that go along with this. What we have to say is, no, the rainbow symbol stands for what it says in Genesis, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I like Mm -hmm. that. All right, uh, Revelation 22, verse 15. What is meant by Everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. Are there examples of this happening today? All the time. Well, let's, read, let's read the whole verse real quick. Outside okay. are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is basically a list of sinners, the lost, right? That's, that's who's outside, that is what Jesus is talking about. Remember at the end of Revelation here real quick, uh, John has has re- finished receiving the vision. He's told not to seal it up. And now Jesus at the end is basically saying, I am Jesus. That's who's outside. The world is sinful. Well, you know, why are we surprised when the sinful world acts sinful? It's like so many in Christianity look at the world and says, oh, can you believe the world's doing this and that? And look at what the word do. It's like they're sinful. That's what they do. This is a list of some of the things that they do, and I think it's that simple. And the term dogs there, you know, people, oh, I love my dogs. I How could they say that? Not talking about it in that sense of a pet. When I was in Bangladesh, they have one dog in Bangladesh. It's a mongrel, weighs about 25 pounds, and is multiplied by about 10 million. Nobody has them as pets. They just run around in the street. They steal everybody's food. They bite you, and they're miserable to have around. And if they could kill them all off, believe me, they would. That's the kind of language being used here. It is not in terms of a dog is a bad animal, but those that behave in a way where they're constantly stealing and lying and abusing others to get their own way. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens in a lot of these countries. Middle East, you go there, there are a lot of dogs running around you don't want to get near. Yeah. Gentlemen, how do you deal with doubt when things like the earthquake that happened and 7,000 people die, as in how can God let that happen? First of all, admit it. Lord, I have doubt. This really bothers me. I've been told all my life, you're a loving God. How is this possible that all these people die? And it's a, it's a tough one, except that we keep forgetting in Christianity that until the Lord returns, we still live in a broken, sinful world where even nature is out of harmony with the Lord. And these things happen all over. Now, could the Lord rescue everybody? Yes, he could. But he chooses to do what he wants to do for his own purposes doesn't mean he didn't love those people. Doesn't mean his heart doesn't break over these kind of things. But the Lord is not there simply to eliminate our problems. And here's the other problem, the other reality. He doesn't take away our free will. And free will figures into a lot of this. Yes, there are earthquakes, but more people have died in the world, not just of earthquakes, but of human humans doing very bad things to one another. Mm-hmm. The idea that we live in a fallen world, as Tom said, is really fundamental to biblical truth. And it's, you know, goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. Man fell. God made things good. There was no evil. There was no sickness. There was not even any death until man sinned and fell. And we now live in a fallen world. And Romans actually says, Tom just described the evil of man and and murders and, and all that kind of stuff, wars that happens at the hands of man. We also have demonic activity and a yep. fallen angel mucking things around, looking to kill, kill steal, steal, and destroy. But also Romans 8 says that we know that the whole creation 
has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up until the present time. So when I look at natural disasters, I think of this verse in Romans and think all of creation is groaning for that day when Christ will return and establish his kingdom and he will make all things new and the way God wanted it and the way God made it and the way God designed it until man messed it up. Thank you for that, Jeff. All right, we're kind of running out of time. We don't have a lot of time left to dig in because we still have lots of questions coming in. So I think we're just getting squeezed here on time. Okay. So let me let me talk briefly, and you guys can feel free to jump in on this, but how important it is to try to eliminate some distractions during the Lenten season and how important it is to read Scripture and get into God's Word. Thoughts, comments? Oh, absolutely agreed. You know, and I had a gentleman the other day, I said, you know, you, you, how often do you read your Bible? And he says, I'm not a good reader. And I said, well, I know of an app. It's yeah. free. It's, you and it'll know. read the Bible to you. And he was astonished. So whatever way works for you to learn, to hear, do it. Yeah. You know, that last question the man asked about doubt. And I find the more I study God's Word, the less doubt I have. Yeah, so Please. true. And we've got a nice little program going on here at Faith Radio. We're called calling it Reading the Bible Together. And you can learn how to better connect with God through his word and study these disciplines that were practiced by Jesus himself. And you can sign up for this free study right now, if you feel like it, at myfaithradio.com. And I and I hope you do that. And we also have a really amazing conference coming up. Uh, Rosie, I'm going to let you say a little bit about that. Oh, the Set Apart Conference? Set Apart Conference. Oh, my goodness. Yep. I'm so excited about it. So for two days, Friday, March 3rd, and Saturday, March 4th, women from all over the uh, Faith Radio family can either attend virtually or can come to uh, Minnesota in person and listen to Nicole C. uh, Mullen and Lori Short. She's going to be on your show, Bill. Uh, Keith Stevens, um, Janita Pace is going to be there. She's also a regular guest of yours. And it's a time for women to set apart and grow closer to God, and it's beautiful. Sweet. Thank you for that. All right, gentlemen, I hope you both have a wonderful evening. I trust you will. Thank you, Bill. Tom Thank you, Bill. Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, you guys are awesome, and I appreciate your faithfulness to the show and your willingness to be uh, just to have a servant's heart show up every every week. That means a lot to me. Yeah, it's our privilege, believe me. I, I get that. It is really fun, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I do too. All right, we're going to talk about human trafficking next with Dr. Fuzrana. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.